Okay, so not only is this season four, episode five, but this is also our hundredth episode. As always, we are proud to partner with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasso bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. So today, because it's the 100th episode, it's going to be a little bit different. So I'm going to hand you over to my good friend, Dr. Garrett Skeet. Garrett, over to you. Thanks very much, Adam. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Birding Life podcast. As you've just heard, I am Garrett Skeet, and it is my incredible privilege to be the host of this week's episode, which is the 100th episode of the Birding Life podcast. And my guest today is none other than the man who started it all, Adam Cruikshank. So, welcome, Adam. Oh, awesome, Garrett. Looking forward to this, nervous and looking forward to it. I was about to ask you, how does it feel to be on the other side? Brew, I'm like as nervous as ever. I mean, I, when I got to interview Peter Harrison, I was like super nervous. But this is a lot more nervous. I really want to apologize to all my guests over the last 100 episodes. I know how you guys feel. Well, I'm sure there's no apology needed, but thanks for your honesty. Um, And firstly, I'd also like to take this opportunity to be one of the first people to formally congratulate you, Adam, um, both you and your team, on this incredible achievement. I must say, I can still remember listening to your first ever podcast, which was way back in the dark days of lockdown 2020. Um, And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought this is definitely a podcast that's going to take off. um, And I've been enjoying it ever since then. Um, And you guys have really, yeah, it's a pleasure. You guys have really grown from strength to strength. So a massive congrats from me and on behalf of all of our listeners or your listeners rather. So Adam, why don't we start today's episode by, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and about how your birding journey started? So yeah, um, I was born a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how long ago. I was born in, born in Mutari in Zimbabwe. Those days was called Imtali. And yeah, when I was five years old, we moved to South Africa. We moved to Ladysmith in, um, in northern KZN. And later on, when I was in Standard 4, that's giving our age a little bit away. When you start talking in standards, you know that, yeah, bro, things are getting on the, the other side, <laughs> but um, moved to a little town called Mandini on the, on the uh, KZN North Coast. Presently, I'm living in a Mamzentoti, which is a beautiful place, one of the best birding places in KZN, in my personal opinion, and it's it's really been, yeah, that's been my, my, my life story. I went to Stanger High School, um, was a great school those days. I remember took, I took a couple of people to it a few years ago. I said, I'm going to go show you the school I went to. Oh my word, it is totally run down now. So sad, but those days it was a fantastic, fantastic school. So my birding journey started in 2016. So 2016 was probably one of the most difficult years of my of my life. You know, my my life was pretty much falling apart. Uh, you know, you know when you get to that place, it's almost like I don't know midlife midlife crisis on steroids. It was really, it was terrible. And on top of it all, my mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And, you know, it was that time she was literally, her body was withering away before me. And, you know, we prayed, we did everything we knew how to do, but nothing was changing. And in the middle of this whole crisis, I went up to um, my friend, Mark Titley. 
in Johannesburg, and I went on a bit of a went on a weekend. We did a bit of got a bit of counselling and just got to chat about a couple of things. And on Sunday Sunday night, he he said to me, "We're going to be doing something tomorrow that I don't think I don't know if you're going to like, but we'll give it a try anyway." And he spoke about the importance of having a hobby. Anyway, the first thing he said that I didn't like is he said, "We're going to be, we're going to wake up like half past four in the morning." I mean. If you're if you're not a bird, a hop past four in the morning is like not a time you want to be awake. Anyway, Absolutely. hop past four the next morning. We got up in the morning. It was pitch black. Um, it was I think it was July, August, so it's not the warmest time in Johannesburg. And he, you know, if you've if you've ever done birding with Mark, he has all these. You go into the kitchen. There's all these um, flasks of coffee he's prepared. Mark Titley is one of the most organized people. He's a legend. And he took me, took us out to a place called, there was Slangvech. That's all I remember, Slangvech up in near Pretoria side. And it was awesome. I mean, we were driving around and, I mean, I've always liked being in nature. And he was pointing out birds, but it was just like birds. I mean, what's interesting about birds? And I remember we stopped somewhere and I can't remember the bird. I can't remember what it was, but... I saw this bird on, on, on a wire and he said to me, look at it through the binoculars, look to this bird through the binoculars and the colors came through the binoculars and it was like, wow. And in that moment, I got what birding was all about. Anyway, I got back home after the trip and I was um, in, you know, I was, I was a birder. I was like into this hook, hook line and sinker. And interesting th- story, the next day I went birding by myself and one of the first birds I got, I took a photo with, I had this little McIntyre point and shoot camera and I took a photo of this this bird and I sent the picture to Mark and I said, Mark, what bird is this? And he said, like, you're not going to, I can't believe what you've just seen. And I got a picture. One of the first birds I saw myself was an arena trogan. And it was, it was awesome. And, you know, the thing is my later, my, later my mother would pass away from cancer. But honestly, with my, my faith and birding were the two things that really kept me through that season. It was like, Nothing, nothing changed. I mean, my mother's condition was, she was withering away. My, my, my life position was exactly the same. But the thing is, when I went out on t- into the field, it just took my focus off of what was happening. And it was like everything, you know, when, when I was out on the field, I was able to, to take my eyes off of the reality of what I was facing. And yeah, when I got back, the world was the same, but I, I was able to see things from a different perspective. And yeah, um, since then, birding has been an integral part of my life. Wow, Adam, that's a really great story. And thank you so much for sharing those details. I'm very sorry to hear about your mom, of course. And I can completely understand how that was a very difficult time in your life. But um, thank goodness that you found something as wonderful as birding, something that's so enduring and something that never never will let you down, no matter what. Yeah, and the interesting, interesting thing about that, you just speak about my mother. I mean, I actually did a bird life at Tequeni Talk a while ago, and we always had this dream of going up to Kruger as a family, and it never happened. We never had the finances for it. And, you know, I got a few years ago, I think it was 2019, I got to go to Kruger. And I can't explain it. It's, it you know, just it was almost like it allowed me to connect the world I was in, the world I was in right now back with my mother and, and it was like, I don't know, it was like this very, very special thing. And I think often when I go out and, 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 I'm, and I'm out in the, the bush, it almost connects me back to my mother and it's, 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 there's something special about it. That's really great. That's really, really special. Um, and I'm sure she would have loved to have done that Kruger trip with you. Well, Adam, thank you so much for sharing those honest thoughts. I really enjoyed that and appreciated it. 
Um, but it takes me to a slightly more lighthearted topic, which is besides birding, what are your other hobbies and interests? So I like environmentally friendly, um, I've got very environmentally friendly interests. And one of them is Formula One. Obviously, it's a bit of a joke, but I'm a huge Formula One fan. Um, almost every, if there's a Formula One weekend, and this is like, you know, I'm going to have a whole lot of birders saying, oh my word. But if there's a Formula One weekend, my whole world comes to a standstill. And from Friday until Sunday, whenever there's a race on the on on TV, whenever there's a warm up, whenever there's a the, the cars are going around the going around the track, I'm glued to the TV. I'll plan my birding around it. I can tell you, this is going to horrible confession. Even if a a rarity showed up, if the if Formula One is on, I'm stuck to the TV. I'm a huge Red Bull fan. Um, and it's exciting. Every Sunday, I normally go hang with Tyron as part of our Burning Life team, and we watch Formula One, shout to the TV, and get all aggro, but it's awesome. Another thing <laughs> is great, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge music fan. Uh, I love music. I've got a very wide taste in music. Um, if you come in my car, I can listen to everything from Book Fun Black to <laughs> the, latest, uh, the latest stuff, but I really love old-school music. I'm a huge, um, I mean, grunge fan, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, um, those kinds of things. And one of the highlights of my life was uh, in 2018, I think it was, I got to go and see Guns N' Roses live. And that was crazy epic. I got to do birding and I got to see Guns N' Roses live. And I literally was like three, you know, three lines from the front or, three, you know, three rows from the front. It was absolutely insane. See Guns N' Roses live, see, to see Slash doing Sweet Child of Mine solo was insane. And then the other thing is, I can be a bit lazy sometimes at times. Uh, you know, there's all these people, you know, I, I always feel guilty when I speak to these guys who I had a chat to Adam Riley and he's like, no, nah, he doesn't watch TV, he just reads and that. I'm like, I enjoy, I enjoy a good series. I've got some, you know, I enjoy a good comedy series, a good crime whodunit show. And yeah, there's times where I can just sit on the couch and just laze away. So besides birding, it'll be music, Formula One, and yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy a good series. I'm not a big movie fan. I normally fall asleep in movies, so yeah, I'd rather stick to the shorter stuff where it keeps my attention span. Okay, awesome. Well, if you didn't give your age away by referencing standards in school, then you definitely did by mentioning what a fanatical Guns N' Roses fan you are. Well, can I say the funny thing is, this is this is the cool thing. When I was at Guns N' Roses, this has got nothing to do with music, or sorry, this has got nothing to do with birding, but there was this youngster, he was probably like one row back, and I think this guy must be in about 15, 16. I was thinking, yes, this guy's like at the show, like, you know, you kind of like secretly judge as a Guns N' Roses fan. I'm a serious Guns N' Roses fan. This guy's just got a free ticket. But I, I, this guy knew every single flipping lyric to Guns N' Roses. So, yeah, there are some youngsters that like Guns N' Roses also. Okay. That's a cool part. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I've never really quite got into Guns N' Roses, but I'm definitely a big Nirvana fan. So what's your favorite Nirvana song then? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, try to think now. I mean, there's always this like the smells like Teen Spirit and that, but I think, you know, the the stuff off off in utero and that was really really insane. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's like I, I it's very hard to say which song would be my favorite. You know, it's like one of those bands I listen to as as a whole. Like like if you said to me Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam. It's one of those bands, and people. If, if you said to me, "What's my favorite song in the world by Pearl Jam?" It's Pearl Jam Ten, which is my the most amazing song that has ever been written. If you don't like Pearl Jam Ten, you don't understand music. There's a line in that song which is insane. It says, "I know one day you'll be a beautiful star in somebody else's sky, but why can't it be mine?" And it's like 
Eddie Vedder's just got this voice that is like insanely good. So my other band, if you want to ever give me a gift, um, is to see Pearl Jam live. I would love to see Pearl Jam live. Um, it's a big dream of mine. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing. I'm also a big music fan, um, but uh, I guess we'll we'll have to set that topic aside for now and continue talking about birds. <laughs> so maybe you can tell me. So you said, if I got this correct, you started birding in 2016, and obviously one of your trigger birds was an arena trogon, as you've said. And, you know, which is fantastic. That's a real, that's a real special one for people to start off with. Um, I remember we had crowned eagles in the um, soaring over the garden when I grew up. So that's one of the first birds that I remembered. But Marina Trogon is a pretty good one. But why don't you tell me how have you progressed in your birding journey, i.e. as a birder? So I think when I started off birding, it was very much around the list. And for those that are about the list, if that's your birding journey, that's cool. But the frustration I had was I'd get back from birding and almost every time I went out, I'd have a whole lot of photos. I'd take my camera, take photos, and I'd end up sending photos to people and ask, asking them to help me identify the birds I'd seen. And, you know, I, I, I really struggled to remember the birds I'd seen. And, you know, I'd go into an average day's outing and I'd see 40 species of birds and then we did a conservation festival in Mamsentoti. I think it was 2017-ish. And we brought down a person that really has changed my birding journey more than almost anyone else, um, Hank Nell. The, he's one of the guys who is the makers of the, the Birdlasser app. And I took him birding. I remember we picked him up from the airport. We went past the um, – got some Nando's chicken and – he was. He told me, I'm going to teach you to atlas. And I had no idea what atlasing was all about. And he took me, went to a place called Baba Vanga, which is one of my favorite birding places. And, and he started to teach me what atlasing was, what, what atlasing was all about. And atlasing is almost, in simple way, it's the, the systematic recording of birds in a specific place over a specific period of time. And he said, this is the one thing that's going to help you grow as a birder more than anything else and you know he showed me what atlasing was all about and from that day I can I would say to I say to people now that I'm not a birder I'm an atlaser you know it, it almost frustrates me when I when I log a bird and it's on it's not on a full protocol card it it actually frustrates me it's like this absolute irritation and I found that my birding went from seeing 40 species out on outing, all of a sudden I was seeing 80, 100 species. Because what it, what it forced me to do was I, I couldn't just walk away and say, well, what bird is that? I don't know what it is and walk away. I had, to for, I had to learn how to identify the birds I was seeing. I had to start learning how to identify calls. I had to be a lot more thorough in the way I approached my birding, even in terms of my preparation process and of, of how I approached my birding. It started to change. And the one thing that I think has changed my birding more than anything else is, is when I started atlasing. It's helped me identify more birds. It's got me better at doing bird calls. It's got me better at remembering what I've seen before. And, and, when, and, and when I plan a, to go birding somewhere now, I generally plan around saying, well, I want to go and, and do a full protocol. So for example, last week, we went to a place called Empecini Nature Reserve at Umkamaz. That was the starting point. Did a bit of research as to what birds I could see there. And we started logging the birds. And I tried it, and then we tried to cover as much of the habitats around the area as we could. And and we got home and we'd seen a good amount of birds. And it was absolutely satisfying. But not only 
uh, was I seeing more birds and identifying more birds, but there was also this this place of satisfaction where you're knowing you were actually contributing to citizen science. So atlasing has been the thing that has helped me grow more as a birder than anything else. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. My atlasing also changed my birding substantially. I remember in the early days when one's just hunting for lifers everywhere, and then suddenly you atlas and every little bird becomes important, whether it's the rock dove or the house sparrow or the marina trogon. Um, it also takes me, something you said, it takes me back to something that Fancy wrote in one of his books. I think it's the LBJ book. He said, when you go birding, identify every single bird you see. Do not leave any bird unattended to. And um, I think that that's really helped me in my birding. And I've, you know, I can definitely relate to what you said. And it must have been fantastic to take Hank Nell out as well. Yeah, the creator of Bird Lasso that's really revolutionized all of our lives. And by the way, I also love the fact that you remembered that you guys had Nando's on that day. Oh man, Nando's, Nando's is king. Nando's is one of the best foods ever. You know, the thing about Hank Nell is um, we were... He's, he's really had a huge impact to my birding journey. And one thing with Hank Nell is there's, there's a couple of memories I remember about him. At the Wagtail Festival, he was like, I wasn't even a part of this, but this is just stuck in my head. And he took a group around and he was like, and there were there were raptors flying over his head. And he was like, oh, what raptors? He asked the group, what raptors is that? And they were like, oh, it's a YBK, yellow bull cut. And he said, no, look again. And it was a Wahlberg's eagle. And what he taught the guys, what he taught the guys to do was to look carefully because oftentimes people tend to just, you know, go towards, ah, oh, it's, it's just another YBK. That was the one thing I remember. And the other thing I remember, he took me birding in Johannesburg and it's just a bit of a funny memory. I mean, we're looking at swifts and swallows. I struggle with swifts and swallows. So it's still one of my, my bogey birds. I still struggle to identify them. I'm getting better at it. But I mean, I remember Hank now lying on his back in the middle of the bush, looking at birds, at these swifts and swallows. And it's just like his, you know, his desire to not just like you were saying, to to identify every single bird he sees. And he's he's probably one of the best birders I've ever birded with. He's a fantastic birder. Yeah, that's great. And everybody knows that if you can get onto a nice big flock of aerial feeders, then your Atlas card is going to be boosted by quite a number of species. So yeah, I can definitely see the value in that. Before we carry on, remember I just saw the other day is you just have uh, done your 500th full protocol card. So well done on that. Oh, thanks very much. Yes. And um, something else about it was um, I decided to, for my 500th card, I decided to do the exact pentad that I did for my first card. So yeah, that was also quite fun. <laughs> but thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, and on the topic of atlasing, and you've touched a little bit on this, but, um, you know, I've heard, I've heard you say before that you're not a twitcher um, and you have a real passion for exploration and home patch birding. So, and I think this is something that's really grown in your life recently. So I wondered if you'd like to just tell us a little bit more about this. So I think the way that this probably grew is probably started from a financial thing because, you know, I would go on these rare bird groups and you would get reports of birds that had been seen. It was often frustrating because it felt like everybody else had the means to go and travel to get to them. And because of my work situation, because of finances, I wasn't always able to travel and just tick these birds off. And it got a bit frustrating. And what I started to do was I started to, through with atlasing and, and you know, just to start to bird a lot more of my local patches. And, 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 it, and it started to become a lot more rewarding because what started to happen is instead of other people discovering birds, I was starting to find things for myself. 
So the way the way I approach my my birding now is kind of like what I said at Mkomaz. Uh, I have a I have a local a local pentad, which is where my house is found, and I will you know I have different habitats that I make sure that I cover over a week. And I've got this theory that if I keep covering the different habitats, I remember Etienne Etienne Maria said that he said, "Don't chase birds, chase habitats," and I've, that that's really stuck in my head. You know, if we would, if we, if we, we, we spend the time and we cover enough habitat within a pentad, we're going to find the birds eventually. And I've been able to find some really cool birds. And it's like you said earlier, the one morning I was standing out in my garden, and there were there was a small flock of grey waxbill flying from my house. Now that's not a rare bird in KZN. It's it's a nice bird to get, but it's not like a a bird that most people get that excited about. But it was exciting because it was a new bird for the Pentad. It had never been recorded on a full protocol card in my Pentad before. So that was exciting. But it's been exciting to be able to find places, to be able to explore these, and explore these little patches that other people don't know about. So my, my desire right now, I haven't discovered a rarity in my area yet, but I believe it's going to come. And I, the, the way I'm doing it is exploring as, as much habitats as I can. And yeah, and what's been pretty cool is, is I found some spots that – you know, no one goes to, and all of a sudden, once you've gone there and people have seen it's a good spot to go birding, all of a sudden, the following week, there's just tons of people going and birding there. And that's been exciting for me that, you know, I think in some small way that I've maybe made Sapphire Coast, where I stay, a little bit more of a, an attractive birding destination because I've, you know, made a decision to bird my pentad more and more. The the one nature reserve, on, on a quick side note, the one nature reserve, I went literally birding at the same place. I think it was nearly for two months. I just went back to the same spot every single time I birded. And it was so interesting to start to see the birds I started to see because I started to notice not just the birds, but I started to see the patterns. I started to see, you know, I could almost walk past and say, okay, cool, these birds will be here. This would be here. And I was able to start to predict patterns and start to see where birds would be and the way they'd behave. And it, it was a lot more interesting than just ticking birds on a list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I can tell you on the topic of grey wag um, grey waxball rather, as a as a Cape based birder, um, I definitely wouldn't take that one for granted. If if a little flock of grey waxballs flew overhead, I'd probably go nuts because um, I get to see that species very very seldom. Um, but yeah, I certainly know what you mean about first records for the pentad. Um, and just uh, just mentioned, just touching on something else you said um, about the money that twitches cost. Um, I think that one of the great things about birding for me is getting to know more people and making more friends in the birding community. And, um, you know, once you've got friends, then you can actually share the load of the, of the twitches. Um, an example that, that I have is um, when we twitched the Spurring Lapwing, a group of five, and, five of us drove from Cape Town to Port Elizabeth and back. Um, and we, we saw the Spurring Lapwing and the twitch cost us 400 rand each. And that was even including food. So yeah, it was, uh, but yeah, I totally see what you mean about the cost of twitching. It's often a problematic issue. So yeah, home patch birding for the win, for sure. Um, now, Adam, I want to chat to you, of course, a little bit more about the birding life itself. Um, but before we sink our teeth into that, I have a couple of quick fire questions for you. So um, are you ready for those? I'm ready. Great. So first of all, if you could go anywhere in the subregion, i.e. tomorrow morning you can be birding anywhere of your choice, your dream subregion birding destination, what will it be? So because this is my podcast, I'm going to choose two. 
<laughs> the first one is the country of my birth. And I can't explain to you. It's like there's just this, this there's a deep connection still. And I really want to go up and bird in, in Zimbabwe. So my the one bird I really, really want to see is, in, is, an, is an African pitta. That's one of my dream birds. But for me, Zimbabwe, it's not just about a pitta or the birds that you get to see there. I just think it's the special country. And I've always, I've always thought of that. But, you know, birding for me is not just about the birds that you get to ex- you get to experience. That's part of it. It's the people that you get to do it. It's the, the, the places that you get to explore. And that for me was – and I think Zimbabwe encompasses all of that. And the second place I would love to go is the country that neighbors it is actually is Botswana. And I've just seen, you know, images of people going up there and the, the kind of scenery and it's absolutely spectacular. So it'll be Zimbabwe and Botswana. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned Matari, I must say, I, I mean, you really missed out, unfortunately, leaving when you were five years old because the area around Matari is absolutely magic. It's got beautiful Miombo woodland and you just go up that Christmas pass and you stay a night at Seldom Seen or one of the other lovely lodges there and you wake up in the morning and there's just a plethora of forest species calling all around you. It's a, it's a really magic place. So I really hope you get to see that, to, to, to do to do that at some stage. And I think you've actually already answered my next question, but the question that I'm going to ask you is, what is the bird that you most want to see in Southern Africa? Well, African pit is, is that bird, but in South Africa, I would say it's a pal's fishing owl. I've tried to see it many times. And I've, I've done what everybody says, go to this place and you'll see it. And I've never seen it. So pal's fishing owl is my, in South Africa is my number one bird I want to see. And I'll say for Southern Africa, it would be an F, an African pitter. Well, those are both very, very good choices. I mean, if you lived in Cape Town, then you could have just seen a pearls fishing owl in a garden, in a tree in the Spanish embassy like I did. As KZN people will tell you, that's an escapee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, everybody else in the country says that that's an escapee. But anyway, we still enjoyed it. Um, but luckily for me, I have subsequently actually seen it in Mkuzi Game Reserve. So yeah, I can say that I've seen it in the wild and it's, a truly magnificent bird. So I hope you I hope you get to break that bird or break that bogey soon. And then how about this question? So what is the bird that you most want to see in the world? So it's an, another African bird, and I think it's one of the most iconic birds that there is. And, you know, for an international birding destination, um, in terms of the variety, I'd say I've always, and I would never want to go there before I was a birder, but since I've become a birder, one of the spots that I want to go to is India. So that's got like this wide range of birds. But in terms of the bird I want to see more than any other bird, it has to be a shubal. I mean, that's that 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 bird, there's there's no other bird like a shubal. That's a brilliant answer. Shubal is magnificent. I I can't wait to see it. I mean, it actually frustrates me that it's basically just one flight away to Entebbe and then you can go to the swamp where they occur, but I've just never managed to do it. So who knows? Maybe we can see a shoe ball together one day. Oh, definitely. I'm key. That I'm super keen for. It sounds great. Um, and now, slightly different question, but what is the, or rather, who is the international birding personality that you would most like to sit down and have a coffee with? So I think the person that's one of the most interesting people in the world, 
and in terms of birding is Noah Stricker and he did did a big year and I've got to read his book and the stories he's um he shared in that book are absolutely amazing. But you know, Noah Stricker's not he's not just a big year guy. There's a whole lot of other things. He's written books on penguins and a whole lot of other things. So Noah Stricker would be a person I'd love to have a cup of coffee with and yeah, I mean I'll kind of jump ahead a bit now. He's probably one of my 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 number one podcast guest I'd like to have on is have a chat to Noah Stricker. Okay, yeah, good answer. That would be quite something. He was actually, I think, yeah, he for his big year, he was obviously in South Africa. And I think he actually stayed in Cape Town with Mike Buckham, um, who's, I think, also appeared on your show, uh, on your podcast. Um, and I think Mike took him to see a Cape Siskin, which, yeah, must have been pretty cool. So that's a bird you, that he obviously needed for his list. But if I remember correctly, Noah actually ticked his birds on scene and heard, which is also interesting because it's kind of like, more how we do it with atlasing. I took a Canadian out, a young guy called Kalen O'Connor, and exactly the same. They recorded on not just what they saw, but also what they heard. But amazing story about um, Kalen O'Connor is he was, he actually identified, he was identifying birds by call. I mean, this is a guy who's been in South Africa for a short time, and he was literally saying, oh, isn't it that, that bird? So the fact that he had the, the ability to retain and remember calls was insane. Some people just have this, yeah, I don't know, it's a gift. I'm not, I don't have it, but some people have this incredible capacity for remembering bird calls and sounds. It's just, it's it's wonderful being in the presence. I mean, I try constantly every day. I have to work at it, but yeah, I don't think I'm as naturally gifted as people like that. And then the next question is, what was your best twitch ever? So... Although I don't consider myself a twitcher, and this is this is weird because I'll chat about the bird down in the Cape in a moment now, but the bird down in the Cape that we'll mention in a moment, I actually have no desire to go and see, and that sounds really weird because it it doesn't it goes back to that thing. I, I find a lot more satisfaction with you know seeing birds that I discover myself and and you know exploring my local patch. So uh, my dream is to find a rarity in my own patch. But with that being said the coolest twitch I ever went on, and I'll tell you why, was actually the, the Malagasy Pond Heron at Pinda. Now, this is the thing. I I, I saw that bird, and I, I was a bit disappointed. Because a bit of a, it was cool. I mean, I was, I was a newer birder, so it was like, okay, it's cool. Because later on in the day, I got to see a bird that has become one of my favorite birds. The, the, the guides took us, and I, the laugher I got just after that was a gorgeous bushrock. And a gorgeous bushrock compared to a Malagasy pond heron. I mean, Malagasy pond heron in terms of being a special bird, in terms of being rare, is much better. But I mean, you can't beat a gorgeous bush rock. But what made that trip so amazing was the people we did it with. We left at half past two in the morning. That was my first ever twitch like that. Um, we went there for the day. But on the way into Pinda, we were driving on the fence and there was, there was a cheetah just walking along. And it was everything about the day was just fantastic. It was the seeing the Malagasy pond in was special, but the people were even better. The you know being out in nature and everything about the day was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, oh, that sounds great. That's a beautiful spot. I was also very privileged to be able to do that twitch because I, I haven't been a long distance twitcher for long. But when that bird showed up, I was actually living in Durban. Um, so my friend Nick Fordyce flew up from Cape Town, and we. Um, yeah, we took the car up and went and twitched that bird. So that was also pretty cool. Yeah, and I and I definitely agree with your sentiments on gorgeous bushrike. Um, and you mentioned the bird down here in the Cape. Yeah, that uh, 
This little snowy sheath bull has definitely set the birding community of the Cape on fire, probably also the birding community of the rest of South Africa. But um, yeah, it's certainly been a, a lot of fun the last two days with this bird basically flying all up and down the peninsula and people trying to chase it around to, to find it. But um, yeah, luckily I was there on the first afternoon with a big crowd, so I did add it to my list. Did Vincent Ward actually find it? Well, it was actually first photographed by an unknown photographer sitting on a boat at Miller's Point, which is a bit further south, near Simonstown. And the news broke, and nobody knew anything about it. You know, the, the gen was just terrible. All that, all that we knew was there was a sheath bull, and it was sitting on a boat at Miller's Point. So, so Vince and his wife Susan rushed down, and um, a bunch of other birders, and they mostly concentrated on that area. And then towards the latter part of the afternoon, when I'd managed to leave work a bit earlier, Vince, I chatted to Vince and he said, well, he's going to go and check out Kalk Bay, rather, which is a bit further north, closer towards Musenberg. And um, I was about five or ten minutes away when I got this frantic phone call from Vince saying, where are you? The bird is here. And, um, yeah, I arrived there and it was just him and Susan. And, um, yeah, we had amazing views of the bird. And then it flew out into the ocean or flew out to sea. And we all thought, oh, no, this is terrible. Um, but very luckily, the bird behaved itself nicely and came back and afforded lots of people the opportunity to see it. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun indeed, I must say. But that also brings me to another point, which is something that birders don't often want to think about or talk about. But I think it always looms large in people's minds. So what is your worst dip ever so i actually did this uh did a day up to saint lucia and imtonzini the zuland area was with tyron was with uh, josh oswenski and we did the did a bit of grassland birding first and the bird we were going after was a bird that everyone and their dog was seeing it was a, Eur a eurasian oyster catcher everybody was seeing it so we got the guide we said we said to junior gabella who's one of the best guides out there fantastic guide if you're looking for a guide book junior he's a legend took us onto the beach and we searched and searched and searched and we couldn't find it and reason that's probably one of the worst is because the next okay this is a very funny story the next day firstly somebody same place saw it but now we in san lucia typical this is this is the crazy part we're in flipping san lucia looking for a eurasian oyster catcher a report comes through that there's a eurasian oyster catcher on the beach in toti now uh, one person <laughs> wow. saw it but i mean there's nothing else it could be and we were like oh my word we were chasing so we've we myself and tyron have been to chase the bird and we haven't seen it now the crazy thing is just up on the north coast I need to go up and see it, but I'm scared because if I go up and see it, nobody else is going to see it. So tell me, so so this is now the bird that that's still there. So have you actually seen the Eurasian oyster catcher now? No. Oh my word, still not. <laughs> okay, well, I really hope you get to see that Mshloti bird. Or, but I can I can understand you've been burned by that bird already, so you've got a personal gripe against it. Yeah, I guess we all have those. Okay, Adam, but now moving on from that, um, we, we need to chat about the Birding Life podcast. Um, so you started this podcast in 2020. Um, I'm interested to know, can you tell us more about why you started it or what provided you with the inspiration to get going on something like this? So when I first started birding, I didn't really know, I don't think I really knew what a podcast was, but I started listening to a couple of the American birding podcasts and I started to have this dream of starting a podcast. 
And I mean, I'd only been birding since 2016, so I was not as experienced as other people. And I think there's, I still say there's people that are, are a lot more qualified, a lot more eloquent to to do podcasts than I am. But, you know, and I kind of had this dream to start it. And I just left it. I had the, a, little, a little Instagram page called The Birding Life. And the reason I started The Birding Life, or the reason I, the, the way I came up with the, the name was, was literally this. I was trying to find a name that no one else was using on Instagram and eventually the birding life was free. So I was like, okay, cool. And it was what I wanted. I wanted to share the story of my life around birds. And that was the whole thing why we called it the birding life. And in 2020, I was, you know, in the smack bang in the middle of lockdown. And I phoned my good friend, Vonin Kerr, uh, Vonin Kerr Wilson, and I chatted to her and I was saying, I'd love to start a podcast. And she just said, well, why don't you start it? So I started emailing a couple of people, Trevor Hodica and um, you know the well-known guys, Fancy Peacock, and I thought no one would get back to me. And everyone was like, "Yeah, they'll come on, they'll be on an episode." And I remember sitting in my lounge recording the recording the podcast, and it was it was really funny because I didn't know what the reception would be. And again, I was doing it. I was nervous. I knew nothing about doing podcasts. I knew no one else did a podcast. And it was quite funny because I I recorded it using my little cell phone earphones, and I thought. Man, I thought I was the man. I thought I was awesome. One day I got in the car and I played my episode. I played a podcast episode and I was like, I could not believe how bad the sound was. And I was like, I was shocked. I was like, I could not even listen to it. And I managed to get another microphone and and yeah, that's how it grew. And what happened with the birding life was it, it really it's really just evolved and just grew as it went along in in June that year. I said to my friend Chris, I said, let's 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 get the website going properly. And we put a we put a website there. We also put an accommoda a birding accommodation directory in there. And the whole point behind that was to to help accommodation places connect with with the birding markets. And we got a hold of a whole lot of places, gave them free advertising for the rest of the year. And it's uh, had a few more guys getting involved. And I'll chat chat about them just now. But it's been an exciting journey. And the whole thing about the birding life, you know, one of the my passions is is I've you know you know. It's it's the opportunity to share stories around birding, and it's not it's it's I'm not clever enough to be talk about fancy ornithological terms and fancy bird names and fancy bird terms. I'm not clever enough for that. I don't know enough. I'll sound like an absolute idiot if I do that. But the birding life is all about stories, about sharing stories, about sitting around almost like sitting around a campfire and hearing stories about different birders, and 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 that's what the birding life's all about. It's it's a community. It's meant to be connect stories together and allow people to discover what birding's all about and hopefully raise awareness around conservation and yeah, just get more people interested in birding. And it's been exciting because not only now is it a podcast, it's actually on seven community radio stations, which is absolutely fantastic. That's really great, Adam. I mean, just once again, congratulations on it. It's It's been such a fantastic journey for you and you've really done so much with it. I'm also amazed that the name was available because I think it's just such a good name, The Birding Life. I mean, that's how all of us birders feel. We feel like this is our life. We live the bir- <laughs> the birding life. So, yeah, you really got a good name there too. And I'm also glad to to know that you that you've also that you guys have also been involved with conservation. So, I'll, I'll mention that just now as well. Um, but I'm sure you've had a lot of challenges, and there've been highlights and lowlights. Um, but as as we're busy celebrating this episode 100, I was interested to know what are some of the highlights and challenges that you've had, um, particularly with as you said, with hosting a podcast? Let me start with the highlights. I think the the biggest highlight has been is the people that I've got to know. You know, when I first started birding, there were people that I, I looked up to, people like 
Trevor Hardikers and people like Fancy Peacocks and these these people that, you know, you almost, you know, they were almost godlike in the world of birding. And it's been a, it's been really great to actually get to chat to them and have conversations with them and realize they're just they're just normal people. And what's what's happened with a lot of a lot of the guests along the way is we've been able to be able to form friendships. When I went on the the flock to Marion cruise, you know, there were a whole lot of people that I was able to you know, connect with his friends now. And that was, that was really, really exciting. So the big first thing has been the people that I've been able to get to know through the podcast, people that start off as guests, but eventually become, actually become friends. The other thing which really touched me was I had an opportunity to interview Duncan Butchard and was, he was an amazing guest, such an amazing person, you know, his book on garden birds is one of my favorite books on, on my bookshelf. And, you know, people would, a lot of people would know that Duncan sadly passed away later on. And it was just, for me, so touching, so rewarding that I was able to share his story and, you know, give a, give a voice. And I'm hoping to be able to share a lot more stories of, of birders who, you know, have, have stories to tell so that, you know, beyond, sounds quite sad, beyond the grave, their story still still carry carries weight. So for me to interview Duncan Butchard was one of the biggest things. Another guest I was able to interview, and it really just happened, was Peter Harrison. And I mean, Peter Harrison is like one of the the most famous people in the world of birding. And I was able to to interview him, and I I was as nervous as I've ever been to sit and do an interview with Peter Harrison. But you know, when we started the interview, we just had a, he just started talking and it was like, he it was just this ordinary person. And he was such an amazing, amazing guest. The other thing, which is, which has been quite amazing is, and this will kind of contradict something I'm going to say in a moment on the negative side has been the impact it has made. And it's been exciting that, you know, we, we've been able to highlight conservation stories over time We've, you know, I got a message in the middle of lockdown. A youngster messaged me and said that he knows no one else who's a birder, and he said the 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 birding life had given him the given him a voice, had given him, it, it connected him with other people. And that for me was really really exciting. The challenges have been the fact, firstly, that the nature of podcasting is that you don't get to see the people that the podcast is going out to, so it can be quite a a lonely world at times. And I find one thing with South Africa, I don't know if it's just South Africa, maybe it's other places also. You don't always get response back. People don't always email you back and say, you know, the impact. If you put something out and say, oh, guys, let us know what you think about the podcast. You get very few people giving you feedback back. And it's, it can be quite hard to have this kind of, you know, this podcast going out into like an empty space. But the other thing that has, has been quite also, has been quite difficult is that, you know, you get a lot of people that they, they'd like to tell you why you're doing what you're doing and they misunderstand your intentions. And it'd be quite the, sometimes the, you know, the, 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 there has been a little bit of opposition, which has, has been hurtful because I'm really passionate about this, passionate about birds, passionate about people. And that has been one of the more difficult things. But I think just to end on that, end that part on a very rewarding note, when I was on the flock to Marion cruise, you know, someone came to me and I can't remember the person's name. If, you can drop me an email if you do. If you, and and they came to me and said, my friend can't come and flock, but all he wants is a birding life cap. And I went and got them a cap. And it turned out this person was from Ireland. 
And I just was like absolutely blown away that somebody in Ireland is listening to my podcast. And they were telling me episodes they listened to and how the episodes influenced them. And then I was getting off the ship and someone, I met a family from Australia and they're like, no, my kids are a huge fan of your podcast. And and that was really that was exciting, and it and and when you know on the flock to Marion Cruise, I got to meet some people who come say, "I oh, know we recognise your voice," and it was exciting to know that the podcast was having some sort of impact. But you know, I hope as it goes forward that we can be able to have a lot more impact and give a lot more awareness around conservation, and and hopefully impact a lot more people to give birding a try. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, that's really fantastic that you've managed to reach such an audience and an international audience and that you've managed to connect other birders because I think that's a that's a big problem that people have actually you know I mean if you you if you don't know any other birders how do you actually connect with people um so yeah this platform has also really given people a way to sort of connect so yeah congratulations on that and uh, perhaps a tricky question but what are the what are some of the particularly what are the five biggest lessons that you would say would stand out for you from the guests that you've featured over these over the course of this last few years? So, like you said, it is a difficult question to answer because by telling the guests and the lessons that have impacted me, it obviously I'm gonna highlight these and it almost I'm not mentioning somebody else, but honestly, these were just the things that just stuck out to me when I did this. But if I could sit and have a whole podcast episode just on the lessons that I've been able to to learn through this, I mean you, you can't walk away from a conversation with Peter Harrison and not be impacted in some sort of way. But just five quick lessons. Firstly, one of my, f the first guests I had, and he's been a, a return guest, has been Trevor Hardiker. And Trevor, you know, he spoke, I asked him like, what's the best piece, piece of advice you can give to birders? And the thing that he mentioned was, is understanding habitat. And that was something that I never really thought about, the connection between habitat and birds. And it allowed me this, you know, to start, studying habitat a bit more where now I can go to into a place and just by looking at the habitat, I'm able to better predict what birds could be seen. And that goes back to that, that interview I had with Trevor Hardiker. Bridget Butler was a, a, a guest from America and she's probably been one of my favorite guests I've, I've ever had. And she did a, an episode on slow birding and she spoke of this whole thing about slowing down and taking note of what's around you. And she had this whole approach and this whole approach to slow birding really connected with me. You know, it allowed me to, to in the field, slow down and take note of what I, was, what I was seeing and be a bit more attentive. And yeah, so Bridget Butler had a huge impact to me. David Allen, which is one of, he's just recently retired, one of South Africa's best ornithologists. Um, I was on a boat with him and we got to see a great petrel. And I remember David ran across the side of the boat. I thought he was going to fall off. Um, I was like trying to like hold on and David's just running around the boat. And I asked David, you know, David, how did you pick that bird out? And the advice he gave me, which is, again, just really advice that stuck out to me. He just said, you know, what a lot of people do when they go on a pelagic, for example, they'll they'll see uh, uh, an albatross. Now look at it quickly through the bins and then the next one's, ah, oh, just an albatross. And he said, take the time to study and take the time to observe the ordinary birds you see. Because when the more you look at the ordinary, as soon as something is different, as soon as something is extraordinary, it's going to stand out. So that's been um, advice I've applied. You, almost every time I go out, just taking the time to look at the ordinary birds because the more familiar I get with the ordinary, when something out of the ordinary shows up, I'm going to be better equipped to see it. 
Um, Kiana Kanto is one of South Africa's best birders, um, got this amazing knowledge and his whole approach to birding, how he studies birds um, meticulously and, you know, looking for the finer details and plumage and how he unpacks it when he gets home really had a huge impact. You know, this idea of going deeper and it kind of ties into the last um, guest and uh, the last person that really was, was a guy called Vincent Ward and he's, you know, we spoke about him earlier and, I kind of got this term, I don't know if we used it in the episode, but onion birding. And it's all about this idea of that, you know, peeling back the layers of an onion. And you can always go deeper. You can always go deeper. You can always understand things on a deeper level. And and I think too often times in my own birding journey before, I'd almost had this shallow approach birding where it was almost it was almost superficial, where I would, you know, be quite happy just to tick a bird off. And, and Vincent had this whole approach about studying birds and understanding them better and better and better. And I can see why Vincent is one of South Africa's best birders. So this whole idea of going deeper, deeper, those were probably the five things that stood out. But there's so many guests that have, have had an impact on my, my birding journey. And that's just five that just jumped out at me initially when I was planning. Yeah, brilliant points. And that leads me to my next question, actually. What are, or rather, who are some of the dream guests that you would still like to interview? So I mentioned uh, Noah Stricker earlier. I've emailed him a few times. So if anyone's got any contact with Noah Stricker, just please um, beg him, plead with him, whatever. Uh, I will. You'll, I'll be eternally grateful to you. But I'll get him yeah. on the show eventually. And Let's the other one is copy of this. Yeah, definitely. And the other one, which I'm really, uh, I'd love to interview. He's not directly a birder. Um, but I think it would be a fantastic interview is, is Sir David Attenborough. I think that'll be one of the best interviews ever. So if I can organize that, I've tried to work out a way to get hold of him, but I hope that would happen. And one more guest I'd love to chat to is, is Sir Paul McCartney, who is who is apparently is a birder, and I'd love to chat him about his birding journey. So it'll be quite cool. Sir Paul McCartney from the Beatles. They'll be fantastic. Okay, wow. Sorry, you've actually, yeah, you've just, you've brought a smile to my face here because, uh, those are some grand aspirations there, I must say. It would be quite a thing to 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 interview David Attenborough himself. Well, who knows what might who knows what the future might bring? But wow, <laughs> I hope you can get that right. Well, if, um, if anyone if if anyone's listening to this, and I just this is like talking about my different passions. Um, there's a this has got nothing to do with birding, but there's an, a video, and actually I'll pop the link in, into the show notes by um, we're we're so. Sir Paul McCartney actually drives this one guy that this carpool, car, carpool karaoke guy they drive around um, Liverpool and he shows all the spots and it's like my favorite YouTube video. I probably watched it like 10 times and every time I watch I'm not one of these emotional people but I just feel tears coming in the side like I start cutting onions and it's 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 awesome it's one of my favorite videos not birding related but you got to watch it and you'll see why I'd love to have Paul McCartney as a guest and tie my love of the Beatles and music into my love of birding. So I've got two more quick questions for you. So firstly, I noticed a question on your Instagram page from Samuel Liebert. He was asking, do you have any plans for any big birding trips in South Africa or beyond in the near future? Well, if you give me some money, I would love to do some trips, but nothing planned at the moment. I think the, the problem is the aspirations are bigger than the bank balance right now. Um, and I think in the back of my mind at the moment, I'm starting to think about, wow, there's, there's a flocked, mari- and not flocked, there's another flock cruise happening next year. So I'm kind of in a position right now where I'd love to, one of the places I'd love to go and visit is uh, like places like Uganda and those types of places to go do some birding up there. Done a bit of research about the accessibility. It's an amazing place. 
but no plans at the moment. I think I'm I'm probably going to start saving towards going on the, the the next flock cruise again now. Sounds good. Yeah, flock 2023 is going to be very exciting, I must say. And Adam, the last question that I have for you today is what are you hoping to achieve in your next 100 episodes? For people that know me, you know, I'm not one of these people that's just about making making money. I really believe that life is about is about making is about making an impact and hopefully leaving a legacy one day. When we started the birding life, one of the things that I always said is that we've got to prioritize people over birds. Because when we prioritize birds over people, I really believe we're getting things the wrong way around. I think one of the ways that conservation is gonna win in the long run is where where we value people. And, and the more we value people, I think in the long run, conservation takes care of itself. So that's one of the things I've always tried to to do as part of the burn-off and, and hopefully leave an impact. You know, I think looking back over the last two years or so, the things that really excite me are the things that I would like to see more of going forward. So because of the birding life and, you know, some of the money we've made, uh, you know, we haven't made millions yet, hopefully one day, but we haven't got to that place right now. But because of the support of people that have been part of us, we've been able to become Conservation League donors, which for me and my personal capacity would never have happened. And it's been exciting that the Birding Life is a Conservation League member and that it's the second year. We actually just paid our membership for the second year now. That's with BirdLife South Africa. So if you're listening and you're not a, and you've got a business, you're not a Conservation League member, join it. It's it's an amazing way to make a, an impact. The second thing is is um, we were able to sponsor a hectare at uh, for for Marion, and that wasn't directly from the birding life. That was something we we dug into our own pockets and we we contributed and, and we sponsored a hectare on the Marion. We were also last year for my birthday last year, we were able to raise just under five thousand rand, which sponsors nearly five hectares on Marion. And what I would love to see going forward is 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 as the birding life grows in influence, in resource, in the different areas. I'm hoping that the impact we're going to make is going to be a lot greater than than just having a good bank account or something. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to give a lot more money to conservation. We're going to be able to invest more and more time into people. We're going to be able to see more young people finding a, a, finding a safe space in birding. And that that's what I hope. I really hope that over the next, you know, next hundred episodes, the impact is going to be greater, not just so that the name of the birding life is is more prominent, but that we actually make an impact with what we've got. And I think I really believe the that with great influence comes great responsibility. And I really hope that we 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 steward that responsibility, that 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 we steward that influence well going forward. So that that's really my that's really my greatest design. And just I'm really hoping that, you know, we'll be able to not just in South Africa, but in Southern Africa and eventually into Africa be able to make a huge impact, you know, and hopefully get more people interested in birding, more people interested in conservation and yeah, hopefully also grow the AV tourism market. So that's, it's, it's a lot more than just a podcast. I really want to see a holistic influence hopefully in, in the long run. Sounds brilliant. Um, and Adam, I just wondered, would you like to say a few words to, um, to uh, a shout out to your, to your team on the, on the podcast, your, the other people who've also made this possible? 
So yeah, I just think, really just want to say a big thank you. Firstly, let me just say thank you to every single person that has listened to the podcast over the last two, uh, last two or so years. It's been, I'm, I'm, I'm really humbled. It's, it's, I don't say that lightly. I'm really humbled with the, inf- with the people that listen, people that get hold of us. And I really appreciate it. But also want to say a big thank you to my team, Tyron, Chris, Kelvin. We've also, uh, they've been, uh, they've just been awesome. Our ambassadors, a um, whole lot of young guys um, who are just represent the brand and promote the brand. They they rock and I just appreciate every single one of them. Um, Fourneen and Lynette, who are two of our um, agents who, you know, for our, for our birding, our directory. And it's really fantastic. But uh, yeah, and also Garrett, also just people like yourself have just been a huge pillar of support over the last couple of years. It's been great to not just know you as a funny thing is, and this is just my quick confession. I told Garrett about this. Garrett's name on my phone is still Garrett Rare Birds. And, and, and it's, it's great that I've got to know you not as Garrett Rare Birds, but actually got to know you as a mate and, and got to do birding with you. And, and that, that's a huge honor. So thanks, man. I really appreciate it. No, it's an absolute pleasure, Adam. It's been fantastic getting to know you too. And um, yeah, it was really enjoyable doing this podcast with you. I just wanted to say thank you so much. You were a fantastic guest. And despite your nerves at the beginning, you were an outstanding speaker. And thank you for all of your fantastic contributions. And I, from my side as the host of this podcast, I wanted to say all the very best for the future. Looking forward to the next 100 episodes. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take the time to check out the other resources we have on our website. If you have any other questions or comments, please drop us an email on info at All relevant links from the episode can be found in the notes to the show. Until next time, be blessed and happy birding.